You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. While we finish our espresso. Hey, welcome back to Holy Cannoli. We took a little time off. Hi, everybody. For good reason. What was the reason? The reason. This is, by the way, you're joining us for the first time. This is Tony Gapastone. And Wendy Gapastone. Welcome to Holy Cannoli. It's all about life, and we dish, and we dash on (laughs) anything and everything. But we're getting back into the groove because we had a big film festival that was our first inaugural Brave Maker Film Festival in Redwood City. And so I needed to kind of take a, a pause on the Holy Cannoli podcast. And now we're reinstating it. How'd you feel about the film fest? Give I loved it. Give us a little it. recap. So today is June 24th, and 23 days ago, right about now, we were partying on Broadway at a bar to celebrate the three-day film festival. It was so fulfilling. I felt, it, you know, like the idea, the idea gave birth, or was born or was birth and that whole thing like all the little steps along the way like getting a sticker like a year ago that said brave mm-hmm. maker film fest with you know only a hope and a prayer that it would come to i think i look at some of the successes you know it was a lot of work number one super exhausting mm-hmm. um, i think my body finally caught up like last week with all the holding it together because i had I don't know, a week long something, something. I'm still dealing with a cough and some congestion, mm. but a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of energy, a lot of volunteers, a lot of people coming, going, but successes, I think 33-ish films were mm. programmed and 27 filmmakers came, which is really cool. Wow, yeah. I think that says something. And, you know, it was kind of like a, a hypothesis that, I'm using a big science word, not sure why, <laughs> but a hypothesis that I have and had that I knew in my bones was, was this was a need, like filmmakers need a film fest to mm. show their work. Mm-hmm. And there are literally hundreds, if not, no there, no, there are literally thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of film festivals in the world. And in some way, I think starting a film fest, I know some people kind of said, do we really need another one? Like, does the world need another film fest? Why, Uh why, why, why? But the fact that these 27 filmmakers came Mm -hmm. shows me that there's just not enough spaces for creative storytellers, filmmakers, actors to come and show their work and engage with people about their work. Like, that's a necessary part of the creative process for filmmakers. So that was a success. And I think that each film fest, right, has a different focus. And so you are bringing brave stories, and that brings people Mm -hmm. together in a different way than another film fest might. Sure, right teaches and exposes different things than other film fests might. So, Agreed. So you could say there is a need for that because yeah. not all film fests are the same. Right. And the audience side of things, like the success mm-hmm. of people feeling like, wow, I learned something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think part of my, I mean, you got that email from somebody who emailed in yeah. saying, I didn't get Brave Maker at first, you know, when you, yeah. when you launched it a year ago, I was kind of, the email said, What's, what's the big deal? Okay, you're curating films. All right, I'll go to one. Then she went to another one. She said she went to almost all of them. Mm-hmm. And now she said she totally gets it. Like her mind has been expanded because of the films about immigration and 
know, the LGBTQ community and racial justice and disability representation like that is why we need a fest like this. We, mm-hmm. we have, you know, like a look on social media, like especially on mine, anytime I like even make a little comment about something like that I think is going to be harm, not harmless. What am I trying to say? It's like going to be simple, mm. you know, like there's like reactions about things. Like even if I just say something like I'm praying for this group of people, or I'm praying for this decision that's being made in this er- area, whether it's a political decision or a religious decision, there are like, 30, 40 responses yeah. because people have strong opinions and thoughts mm-hmm. and that's good, but we don't know how to talk about it at times. We don't mm-hmm. know how to, en- excuse me, how to engage and listen. I'm actually uh, looking at a cup right now of espresso ice cream. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's what I've been chugging. So I'm now burping espresso burps, excuse mm-hmm. me, but oh, this ice cream is so good. What is this? This is gelato. Yeah. What's the brand? Talenti. Talenti. Free endorsement for Talenti espresso ice cream. <laughs> yeah, if you oh, want to so hook good. us up, Talenti, we'll try a mm. bunch of different flavors mm. and talk about it. Mm. This is actually your birthday, mm. we should say. Thank you. So we're celebrating. Yeah. We didn't do like a big cake or anything, but. I'm not a cake person. I gave us a, I stocked us up with some <laughs> gelato flavors so you could pick and choose. Yeah, this is what I wanted to, what I wanted to do on my birthday, was get back into the podcast. Cool. So back into the podcast. Yeah, so the audience side of things, this gives people an opportunity to listen to and to engage with hard topics. So I feel like that was a win. People mm-hmm. being able to have conversations about uh, racial identity and gender equality. Uh, we had a huge documentary on human trafficking and the foster care system. So many people were touched and mm. gut-wrenched by that documentary and the reality mm-hmm. of the injustices happening in systems, broken systems. So I just really appreciate that people were willing to go there uh, and have these conversations and have their mind expanded. So thanks to everybody who came and showed up mm-hmm. and uh, who supported and bought tickets because you made a difference to so our sponsors. Huge. Mm-hmm. Just very, very, very grateful. So, and, and just to clarify, you were talking about the film fest, but then you referenced the email somebody was coming to your monthly screenings. So there was the Film Fest the first mm-hmm. weekend of June, but now you are going to continue on starting September, right? With a monthly yeah. film screening, you usually focus yep. on one or two films mm-hmm. and have a discussion around it. You bring in panel. Yeah, so okay. we've been doing those monthly screenings mm-hmm. since December, if you're a new listener or new to our our, our work here, um, and we will be back September 12th. At this point, it's tentative. Pencil that in. And I say that because we just haven't got our full funding, but it's a suicide prevention event that we're planning at the Fox Theater with a local documentary made by two women filmmakers about teen suicide. And so our plan is to do a countywide uh, event that targets teachers, students and their families to resource them to know how to walk through this next school year and have a, it sounds kind of weird to say this, but I hope it's bold, but a suicide free Hmm. year. Mm -hmm. I, for one, am tired of hearing about people taking their lives and Mm -hmm. completing suicides in a number of ways. Yeah. This area is so huge statistically um, on the peninsula in Silicon Valley. How about that? Because of the, and the documentary is called the edge of success and it's told really through the voices of students Mm -hmm. and how challenging it is 
those who have a mental illness, who deal with depression, but also those who just feel like this weight of stress and anxiety over SATs, ACTs, families who are working 80, 90 hours a week, who are doing startups, who live in this crazy, affluent, mm-hmm. high cost of living area, and they take it on themselves. So, yeah, I think it's an important event. This will be, we ha- you know, this will, this will just be the ongoing work we want to do, mm-hmm. is raising issues and having stories and panel discussions and using film to that. So if you are a Bay Area person that would like to help fund that, let us know. In fact, coolest thing ever we had a generous donor say they're doing a matching program for us. So we have a, I keep saying a double matching. And what were you saying? Like it's not, a, it's not just that. say a matching campaign. <laughs> uh, if you are familiar with this type of thing before, like nonprofits and um, people get these opportunities, like give a dollar and it turns into two. So this donor who wants to remain anonymous basically said, Hey, till July 4th, 2019, any donation you get in will match it up to twenty five thousand. So so far, we are, I already raised almost two thousand on Facebook. So that's boom, wow. that's doubled, which is awesome. awesome. We had this woman who sent us the email. She sent us a thousand dollars. We got another email of another don- donor coming in. So uh, if you'd like to give, you can go to bravemaker.com and you'll see there's a donate tab. And everything will be doubled until July fourth. And yeah, we're trying. Yeah, we've been considering. Yes, now's, the time now's the time before July fourth. Yeah, That'd yeah. be awesome. Because we're trying to raise twelve thousand dollars for this big countywide suicide prevention event. So that'll be very helpful. Awesome. All right. So this uh, podcast, we wanted to talk. We're a day late, a dollar short <laughs> from Father's Day, but I love talking about fatherhood, and I love philosophizing about what makes a good father, and telling stories about my. Uh, own dad and what I've learned and so we thought we'd talk a little bit about what makes a good dad or what how do we understand fatherhood because you know if you're not a father you probably have a father one could be a biological or an adopted or a step or a grandfather or a father figure so all of those um, make you uh, you know invite you into this conversation Um, even if you're bio dad or that figure has since died or passed on, you know, and is not around. Maybe you can find some connection here in some of these stories. Did you want to like share anything about your own childhood, your own dad or other people in your life that have been father figures to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what you gleaned from that. So my parents were divorced, divorced when I was five. And if you go back to episode like one, two, or three, I talk about that journey. But having a divorced living situation uh, makes it very challenging for a kid, or at least that was my story. And although your parents try their hardest and they say things like, it's not about you, you always have to kind of try and tell yourself the truth. Like, was it about me? And did I cause it? And was I, is it just too stressful to stay married and care for kids and all that kind of stuff? But I always remember really longing for a relationship with my dad. And um, we saw our, my dad on weekends. And um, we lived, like, at one point, we lived, like, an hour away or 45 minutes away. It felt like a long time as a kid. Mm-hmm. But I totally cherished uh, riding in, car, in the car with my dad and just conversations with him. And uh, I have distinct memories of when we'd sleep over at my dad's house. I have uh, one biological brother, four years younger. Uh, we'd always just watch movies. It was like just kind of awesome, you know, do whatever <laughs> you want. And 
Of course, that's always going to create tension mm-hmm. with your mom, right? Who's always like, there's no boundaries and you're doing whatever you want. You're eating all this you know, pizza and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But I remember, you know, that was my Italian side too. So I remember feeling my dad gave me a very <laughs> probably unhealthy identity <laughs> of being an Italian because uh, he was... He is 100% and very macho Italian, and I, you know, I knew no different. So it wasn't until I got older that I realized, oh, I'm actually only 50% Italian. My mom would say <laughs> things like, you're Swedish, and you're Irish, and you're this, and you're that. I'm like, I'm Italian. What are you talking about? So my dad gave me a very mm-hmm. large presence and personality that I, I appreciate, you know, as a, as a 50% Italian mm-hmm. uh, guy. <laughs> Uh, I also, you know, my dad, he is very touchy-feely, you know, he, uh, which I think is really interesting because I'm a very touchy-feely person, one, so I definitely feel like I got that from him and I appreciate that in, in him, uh, you know, even though we would only sleep over there certain weekends, but even as an adult, when I say like adult, like when I was 18, 19, 20 in college and I would stay over at his house, if my dad left early, which he did a lot for work, he was in the grocery business, he was a manager, and he'd often have to leave early with this uh, you know, motivation to check the refrigeration before the store opened or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he would wake my brother and me up mm. and kiss us like Aww. at four or five in the morning. And I, read, I distinctly remember that. Thankfully, both my brother and I fall asleep really quick. <laughs> You're like, because, sweet. Yeah, because in some way, I always think about that when I have to leave early before our girls get mm. up. I always think about my dad doing that to me. And I always say in some way, I wish I could do that to them, but our girls... <laughs> They would be not, awake yes. for the rest they of the day. They do not go back to sleep quickly, <laughs> and I wouldn't want to do that to you, honey. <laughs> Thank you. But the heart is there. The heart is there. So, but, but that's a thing that I think about. And on the other hand, my dad, you know, like sometimes like the words of I love you aren't always as important to me as the showing of I love you, which is interesting, right? Like I... I'm not the biggest words person in the world. Like words don't mean as much to me as showing mm-hmm. your love, you know? So, um, but there is, you know, there's also a time when my dad and his machismo, if he didn't like what I did, would like flick me in the back of the head or swat me, you know, like, like, what are you doing? You know, like, like a little like hit in the back of the head. And I remember being a grown up too and equating weird things about fatherhood or even weird things about God because of those events. I always tell the story of living in this really small uh, rental house, and we had a very small little washer-dryer room, closet thing, and there was a shelf right above where you stuck in your clothes into the washing machine. I remember bending in like many, many times, and I would stand up and forget about the shelf, and boom, I'd hit my head, and I would have to tell myself that, oh, my head wasn't being hit because God was trying to correct me in some way. It just hit it because I was, you know, (laughs) not looking where my head was going. But I would always have this weird connection to uh, a physical pain or a physical hurt coming into my life because I needed to be corrected. For instance, God was telling me something I wasn't reading the Bible enough or I wasn't praying enough or I wasn't being kind enough or or whatever. It's almost like the like God was saying, What are you stupid? You know what yeah. I mean? So no offense to my dad. I mean, I, you know, parents gotta do what they gotta do. <laughs> uh, but that little you know, I don't I don't think my dad was being abusive. Could he have been a little bit more kinder than that? Sure. <laughs> uh, but 
that's a very interesting window. Like that's how you interpret yeah, it. Yeah, into it. how we as fathers can impact our kids. And I know with having three daughters, I'm hyper aware of things that I do. That's why I'm probably like overly, like I love you and speaking truth to them and make sure I give them words and touch. And, and at the same time, I recognize like, wow, my dad, he would fall asleep, you know, so many times on the floor or while we we're watching TV. I'm just resting my eyes. Yeah, sure, dad, <laughs> you are falling asleep because he was tired and exhausted. Yeah. And he wasn't even a full-time parent. He just worked yeah, a lot. Worked you know? hard. So now I... I feel I have more compassion for my parents, mm-hmm. you know, and all that, that they they did growing up. But I'm also just aware of I think what I want my kids to see is the humanity that we have as people in their lives. Like I love this this quote that I think changed my also my compassion level for my parents when I heard someone say I don't know who who said it, but your parents were growing up at the same time you were growing up. Mm-hmm. And I look at that in our life and go, I'm 44 today. I still feel like I'm 20-something, trying to make sense of life, trying to pay bills, trying to hope that someday I can send my kids to college and have enough money for this and that and be you know, be what they need to be. But I know I'm limited. Mm-hmm. And so I think my, you know, my fatherhood philosophy, if I have one, again, this is like, in my head, I don't have it on a wall or etched in a journal. Mm. It's just a general thing I think about. I hope my kids just know I'm there, I'm present, and I try to be honest with my shortcomings. I try to say often, like, I need you to forgive me. I'm sorry I was short or I was not paying attention or I fell asleep or, I, you know, whatever. Like, I need some space right now. I try to give them that bit of like what I want wanted from my parents and what they did give me mm-hmm. when, when they could. Uh, and the other thing, the other part too that I love is my kids want to know how, like, they want to know my story. They want to know how I developed as a uh-huh. kid. So they, I think that they love it when I admit I'm wrong. They love it when I tell them my mistakes. They mm-hmm. love it. And they love me repeating those stories. Like, Dad, tell us again when you lit your hair on fire when you st- when you smoked for the first time. Like, <laughs> okay, here it goes. Like, mm. or, Dad, tell us when you stole the gum and Nana made you take it back and confess to the manager. Like, <laughs> uh, okay, they just love stuff like that, and I think that's a really great thing. I mm-hmm. want them to see because they're they're gonna have their stories when you know they grow up. Like, Dad, that hurt my feelings, or I'm sure I've tainted them in some <laughs> way, but I hope at least they know I'm I'm trying to be present and I'm continually communicating that God, the God, the creator, the divine source and presence of the world is way better than I ever could be. Yeah. What are some other, you've had different father type figures as well in your life as you um, started following Jesus, as you started becoming a young adult were there any other examples of fatherhood that you saw that you thought, like, I want to do that when I'm a dad? Mm-hmm. I was taken in by a pastor. I think I talked about this on one of the earlier podcasts, too. Dave Bates, who came about a year ago mm-hmm. and visited here and surprised me, him and his wife. He and his wife were married like just a month or two, and they took me in to their house. I mean, can you imagine being a no. newlywed and taking no. in an 18? I think I wasn't even 18. I was just 17 because <laughs> yeah, I just graduated high school, and I turned 18 at the end of June. But they took me just in. Just throwing a roommate in the oh mix. Oh, my gosh. They took me into their two-bedroom little apartment. 
in their second or third month of marriage. And I thought it was really awkward because I'm thinking like, I know what they're up to in their second and third month of marriage. Like they don't, they want privacy. They don't want me, but they sacrificed. And I, I always remember that thinking, wow, that was a true act of love. And I felt, even though they were young uh, and probably would never have thought they were quote unquote fathering me or mothering me. I felt fathered and parent or parented by them, so I love that idea of sacrifice and mm. giving, you know, um, things that are precious to you. I have a couple other pastors in my life too that were significant, just that believed in me. This was like the first real church I was a part of in Rockford, Illinois, who entrusted me leadership, mentored me, and supported me. Uh, a couple teachers, professors from my. North Park University college days. I think Dave Nystrom and um, Scott McKnight, who are both well-known uh, leaders, authors, and theology. They, I felt like they were really significant in investing in me and really, I think, helping me, you know, navigate like becoming a pastor, you know, mm-hmm. and thinking that that's that was really cool. So a, a sense of a, a professor fathering you, you know, so. Mm. I really appreciate those presences in my life. Presences, presence. Their presence. Their presence. In your yeah. Life. Yeah. What about you? Sweet. Your dad. My dad is awesome. I don't. I feel like I can't really talk about him without getting choked up. I just love him. Get choked up, honey. I, I love him. Choke um, it up. He's a quiet dude. He's always been a quiet guy and always just really hardworking. Very steady and steadfast and faithful and prayerful and wise. And I just always felt unconditionally loved. So, um, yeah, I mean. You felt unconditionally loved because he, what, like, what did he do that I made you feel know. that way? I just always felt loved. Like you didn't have to do anything. You, you never disappointed yeah. him. Yeah, I feel like his, mm. yeah, there was never a sense of, like, expectation to mm. perform or be or do, just loved. Mm. So, good job, Dad. Mm. Thank you. I think that's a big deal right there. Yeah. To feel you could be who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything you wish he did differently? Um... Your dad always, I remember when we were first married too, your dad was always the fix-it guy, and I'm not the fix-it guy. Mm. Your dad's always, he's the service man too. Yes. He loves to do things for you. Yeah, Take he's the a car, doer. get the wash, da-da-da-da. And so I remember early on, like, that was something I always felt like, oh, I'm not that person. I don't <laughs> like doing the oil changes and <laughs> the lawn mowing or whatever. Yeah. But your dad would always like if we had pictures to hang up. You're like, "Where's, where's? Give me the hammer and the stuff. I'll do it. I'll like, take I'll take care, care of it. Like, you know, fe- you know, fence fix. Let me go to Home Depot and yeah, yeah. Which is what for sure his love language. love language, which is cool because there's so many different forms of dads. Like I'm really yeah. not good at doing. <laughs> I'm good at <laughs> I'm good at changing light bulbs. That's <laughs> about it. I can load the dishwasher. Well, well maybe see, not. I can't. I'm, <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> that, that's a. Uh, <laughs> That's a point of contention for Wendy and me, just, you know, holy cannolers. 
Is there a right way to load the dishwasher? <laughs> according, That's the eternal according question. According to us, I think we both have a right way. My way is just get it done, however. I think there's efficiency. <laughs> there's a better way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. No. So moving on, okay. you recently um, gave a talk mm-hmm. uh, on Father's Day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you talked about um, what we can learn from Jesus mm-hmm. about fatherhood. Yeah. Well, Do you want to give us some bullet points? So I occasionally speak in Novato with The Quest, which is a church that is um, where my best friend Matt works and serves. And we actually co-taught. It was super fun. Mm-hmm. But I was sharing a couple <laughs> things. Like, here's my three bullet points. Pastor sermon number one. Uh, no, no, just kidding. But these things st- stick out to me when you think about how we can learn about fatherhood from Jesus because Jesus related to God as father. I mean, there's the, the fact, simple fact that he called God father and as he prayed, he modeled that this relationship that he had with God was the same relationship that we were invited into. That's, this is, um, if the, idea of prayer or the Lord's prayer is new to you, just, you know, I don't want to be, you know, oversimplifying things, but this like boggles my mind when I think about, you know, this prayer that so many people know and mutter and chant and maybe don't let it really sink in. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? This is uh, in Matthew 5. Jesus is responding to a question that his disciples asked, like, "Hey, Jesus, like, you when you pray, something different is happening. What's going on? The way you, the way you address God, the way you talk, it's it's different. Can you teach us that too?" And so it's recorded that Jesus said, "This is how you pray: Our Father, who are in heaven." And just that beginning there, that's like life transformational. That Jesus related to the the Creator as Father, this relational thing that sometimes as I said earlier, might not be a, uh, a healthy relationship. I'm sure there are people listening who have to have a cutoff or have had to sever relationships with their dad because mm-hmm. of toxicity, maybe even abuse. Mm-hmm. And those are real. Those mm-hmm. are things, those are painful. Maybe that your father has, has died and is not alive and there's maybe some unreconciled situations there. So this relationship that Jesus establishes with God, I think is meant to supersede even, you know, the greatest dads, earthly dads, as well as the the ones that we're not in relationship with anymore, so that we might have a greater understanding of this awesome connection that was, I mean, it's relational, that was designed by God and exemplified by Jesus. So Jesus obviously has this intimate relationship with God. His disciples see it. And then he says, this is how you relate to God too. You're meant to have this same intimacy that I have. I mean, think about that. That's mind-blowing. Think about this phrase. God loves you just like he loves Jesus. I think anybody, whether you are a believer in Christ or not, or you call yourself a Christian or not, if you were to just kind of stand back, you know, one step removed and say, what do you know about Jesus and and his life and his story? You might be able to throw out a few ideas, things that you know, maybe things that have been either made fun of in movies or things maybe you heard in Sunday school that you've long since ditched. But the idea that 
Jesus was God's son, that's kind of a well-known thing, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what we know. How about the fact that Jesus as God's son came to restore our understanding of God as father in the same way that he related to God as father. Like that is like life changing. Mm. God loves you just like he loves Jesus. And that's a lot of love. (laughs) And then somebody would say, well, Jesus was perfect. Right. So no wonder God loves him, but I'm not perfect. Right. So how is that? And the invitation is that Jesus is saying he loves you just as you are. He loves you because he created you, because he wants to, because you are his, because you are made by him in his image. I mean, that's (laughs) profound. That like, just sit on that, press pause and go think about that. Like you are loved by God, just like Jesus is loved by God. No more and no less. That's a lot, a lot of love. Okay. And not because of anything you do. Yeah. And or well, don't do. And this, this is where, you know, I point to as well. So if Jesus in Matthew 5 is telling people how to pray and says you get to relate to God as Father. Boom. That's, you know, life changing right there. Mind blowing. Whatever you want to say. Okay. And then he's like, well, look at me. Look at my life. Look at how I God treats me. When I was baptized, Jesus is... Going into the water. Now, why, wait, wait, wait. Why does Jesus have to be baptized? Well, this is why we need to re-under, relearn about what baptism is. Some people think baptism is something that you do to get your sins forgiven. They're washed away. I don't think that's what the scripture is communicating about baptism. Because if Jesus was, again, God and sinless, he didn't need to have his sins washed away, quote unquote. Why did he go into these waters and have his cousin John baptize him? Because he was demonstrating what this relationship with God looks like. The symbolism of water is like go down into it and you're immersed and you are, you know, water is all over your body. That is the Greek word, baptism, is immersed. That is the love of God. That is also the end of Jesus's life. He ties it back in Matthew 28 and says, now, after he's crucified and resurrected, he tells his disciples, now go and teach people, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach people everything I've told you. And everybody who reads that thinks of a literal baptism, dunking in water, boom, God, that's it. No, the idea is that we are meant to immerse people in the love of God, in the love of the Father, in the love of the Son. And so this is very getting very theological here, but I think that reality of Jesus got baptized, he was immersed in the water, and then what happened right when he came up? This booming voice came from heaven, so it is recorded in Scripture that said, this is my Son, and he pleases me. Another version would say, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased, or I think the message says something like, or the new living, this is my son and he gives me great joy. And we go back to that scripture a lot, or at least hopefully you might and should, could be doing that yourself and hearing this in your churches as a example or as evidence that God loves regardless of what we do, because God said that of Jesus before he had done any miracles or any ministry. Mm-hmm. So there's a great example of Jesus having this relationship with God the Father, modeling this. Like, I love this, not, you know, new, this is not my words, but someone else said this, more smart, more smart. Someone else (laughs) said this who's smarter than me, is that Jesus was showing us how to be human, showing what was possible for us as human beings to have relationship with this creator in a most intimate way as a father and a child would. 
boom, that's who you are to God. You are loved by him. You give him great joy no matter what you do or who you are just because, just because, period, exclamation point, exclamation point. Sweet. The other part that I love about Jesus's relationship with God is that God was cool with his son, with his kid, questioning. He was cool with him doubting. <laughs> Jesus doubted. Take a look at what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. After the Last Supper, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He goes into the garden and he prays. And the scripture records Jesus being so full of anxiety some people think it was literal blood. Some people think it's poetic, but it says that he was sweating blood. And there mm -hmm. is a scientific reason some people say that this can happen when you're so overwhelmed with death angst. and angst and stress and fear that your you know blood can ooze through your skin, supposedly. There is scientific examples of this. Or it could just be like it's the way that the yeah. person wrote it. But Jesus said, uh, yo, Dad, um, I don't want to do this. This, I don't know if I could bear this amount of pain. Can we do it a different way? Okay. He's basically starting to say, I don't, I doubt this, this mission you this put me plan. on, this plan. Yeah. And God's cool with it. And God, God says, you know, I want, I want you to keep going. And he says, okay, I'll do it. My will, not your will. I just love that that transparent honesty, that was a model. That's what I hope to do as a, as a father that my kids can say to me. I don't believe I'm frustrated or I'm nervous or does it have to, do we have to do this? Like I want them to be able to ask questions and doubt. And it's either even further modeled with Jesus on the cross when he is at the pinnacle of pain. He quotes Psalm 22. Uh, Jesus is recorded saying seven things, but one of them is Jesus saying, God, why have you forsaken me? That's a pretty big question. Mm -hmm. I've heard some pastors and, you know, I say this, I don't mean to be, uh, I'll just say it. Some pastors write that off and say that Jesus um, didn't really believe that God had forsaken him. He just said it to connect him to, to King David. I don't believe that. I think Jesus was excruciatingly beat and whipped and mm -hmm. nails in his hands. He was hurting so bad. And in his most human state, he could not see God. And some other pastors yet will say that, that Jesus was really responding to the fact that God wasn't there. Some pastors have said, interpreted this, that this, this atonement theory is that God had to turn his face away, which now, in, as I'm evolving in my understanding of scripture, I can't accept that either because how does God turn his face away? How does God remove himself? Think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. If you've ever heard that, mm -hmm. I've accepted that like many, many times. I'm like, now I'm like, whoa, 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 stop the whole, how could God, God is everywhere. How does God remove? No, I think in that situation, Jesus' humanness, he's saying, dad, it feels like you turned your back on mm -hmm. me. It feels like you have forsaken me because I am now feeling the sin of the world. I'm feeling all these people's hatred. I think that's a beautiful picture of fatherhood. Now, we don't hear God the Father say anything in that moment, which is also disturbing. But we have to believe in, those, in that space that God was present and let Jesus experience mm -hmm. what it felt like, but didn't turn away, was there. So all that to say, like, I am 
still working through it, and you can disagree with me, uh, listeners and wife, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm still processing. I feel, you know, my theology of how God and Jesus interact, what happened on the cross, what all that stuff means, and I'm processing it in a real simple human way. This fatherhood parent really parent relationship. Like I want, I want to do that with God. I want to be free to like raise my fist because I don't get life. I don't get why. Why are kids being detained in Texas right now at the border in cages full of snack? I don't get that. Why Why is this happening? And I want I want my kids to be able to say, Dad, like you make me mad. Like this mm-hmm. frustrates me. I don't like that. And most times yeah, they, they do. do. <laughs> they do. Perfectly free. Hi, thank you. <laughs> Ouch, that hurts. <laughs> I still love you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so all that... Has just been a, I don't know, a foray into some, you know, some small things, big things, human things, theological things that have been rolling around in my head when it comes to fatherhood, and that's some of the things I shared when we were at, when I was at the quest. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Some good stuff to think about. So if you are uh, in any way interested in talking more, I'm happy to chat and all, all, and as well provide some resources on some of these theological things I'm thinking about. I've you know, got lots of books in the bookshelves that if you want to talk about theology and atonement and uh, nature of God. So this also begs to, you know, the question for me too, who's in and who's out? Right, uh, you know, I really care about the LGBTQ community and people feeling included in the family of God and not being excluded. Like, there's a big movement right now in the de- denomination that I used to be a part of. Uh, that's happening this week. They're voting to exclude a church that allows gay people to become members because of the interpretation of Scripture and how they understand sexuality. And it's a very controversial topic, I get it, but I think we owe it to our fellow humans to relook at how we look at scripture and how we look at God. And uh, yeah. welcome people reaching out to you. Yeah. Having the conversation. Yeah. And I would point you to other podcasts we've already done because we've done a considerable amount of talking about how we look at scripture, like look at you know podcast eight, nine, and ten, as well as thirteen and twenty, if you want to talk about the LGBT community. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for uh, hanging in. It's good to be back. We'll hopefully get back more on a regular schedule. And uh, check out bravemaker.com if you want to support some of the work we're doing through film. And uh, say hi on social media. Share this with others. If you are a father, keep being a father. If you're a kid uh, in any way, shape, or form, needing healing from uh, pain from your past, my hope is that you would know the love of God for you and uh, you would have other other figures in your life healthy examples of people who could love you and mentor you through 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 that pain God loves you bye thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli if you liked my dad's podcast please subscribe give it a review and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it Holy Cannoli Podcast is a proud production of Brave Maker Media. For more information or to donate, go to bravemaker.com to make your tax-deductible donation today. 
You can post questions or suggest topics for the podcast on our Holy Cannoli Facebook page or use the hashtag Holy Cannoli Podcast on Twitter and we might read your question or suggestion on air.